0: The John Morris Show episode 587654321. Five, You'll never
1: have the secret stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother.
0: You are now listening to the John Morris Show. My name is John Morris, army veteran turned freelance web developer, and each week I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice, and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival on udemy.com, where you can learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, mobile apps, and more inside one convenient course, so you can shortcut the time it takes to start earning your full-time income as a web developer. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive 85% discount on the course by visiting johnmorrisonline.com cwdc. That's johnmorrisonline.com cwdc. I actually want to just start off this episode by saying thank you. don't think that's something I'm very good at I'm bad at saying thank you in general and I should say thank you more especially to those of you I know there's a lot of people that have been subscribed to this channel for a while have been subscribed to the podcast for a while have been listening for a while and have been through everything with me as I kind of figured this whole thing out it's an interesting process going through trying to find your voice, and I don't necessarily feel like I've got there a hundred percent yet, but I definitely feel like I'm in a much better place in terms of the things that I want to talk about and the things that I want to bring to the table when it comes to web development, web design, and and helping other web developers. And I can look back and admit that there were times where I've really kind of been all over the map, and Again,
1: I'm not saying that's over, so if you've been with me for a while, uh, you know, it could happen again, but
0: I do definitely feel like I'm in a better place, just having a better idea of my voice and and what I want to say. So again, I just want to say thank you. This last year was a pretty awesome year for me. There were a lot of things that happened that just a lot of growth overall for me. My business, personally, coding wise, etc, and a lot of it centers around this right here, this conversation that I feel like we're having. And again, I haven't always been a good conversation partner, and so I want to say just want to say thank you for everything. You guys and gals have all been really pretty amazing. Um, even even the haters, even the people that <laughs> sent me the hate mail. Because usually there's a reason behind it. There's there's something there. And while I don't necessarily always respond or agree, I do look at it. And there have been quite a few things that I've changed as a result of that. So uh, even the haters, I, I, I appreciate you. So again, I just want to start off this episode and say thank you. Hopefully you're enjoying these episodes and, and where this is going. Uh, and hopefully we can continue to have this conversation. I can continue to give you more and more of what you need for your web development career. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front that going forward, it's going to be maybe a little bit little bit less technical. Because I've found that I've used that as a crutch. And what I mean by that is I can, I know that I can create a technical tutorial on really anything it could be anything and put that up on the channel and there will be a lot of people that really gravitate towards that if I were just focused on the results of my channel and my business overall that's all I would do and there was a time there's been times where that's what I've done and I'll do tech tutorials in the future and so forth but I don't think that's what I have best to
1: bring to the table. I think what I have best to bring to the table is everything else outside of that.
0: Because there's a lot of people right now doing really good tech tutorials on YouTube and on the internet. And there are people out there that do better tech tutorials than I do. I fully admit that. But I don't see a lot of people talking about some of the other stuff. Or the people that do. I maybe either disagree with their opinions. Or I don't know that the delivery's there. To really get people. To listen to it. And gravitate towards it. And so. I think what I have to offer. Is that. And my opinion of it is. Is that that stuff is really. Much more important than the tech stuff. You got to learn the tech stuff. Don't get me wrong. You got to learn that. But that's, I mean, everybody's learning that. That's not what's going to make you successful. That's not what is going to set
1: you apart. That's not what's going to allow you to have your career as a developer. It's just the start. It's required, but it's not everything.
0: And again, there's plenty of people out there teaching that stuff. You can go... Anywhere, I mean, you could you can't go on YouTube without tripping over a tech tutorial. You can go to YouTube or Udemy and buy courses for pennies on the dollar and learn that stuff. But again, I don't think that there's a lot of people talking about
1: the other stuff. Uh, And so that's what I want to do. And so if you've been a long time listener, even if you're a new listener and you. That's something that you're... you maybe wish I did more to tech tutorials. Know that. W- this is the way I would do it. Again, I have
0: tech tutorials. Watch those, of course, right? I'm not going to say don't watch them. But again, there, find a source for all of the things that you need. That's really what you should do. Find a good source of tech tutorials that, that does them constantly. Find a good source of, if you're going to be a freelancer, freelance information. Find a good source of career advice. Find a good source of news. Find a good source of somebody who talks about the mental things or the internal and emotional things. Find a good source of all of those things. And hopefully, I can be one of the many sources that you have For information when it comes to the things outside, talking about freelance, talking about mindsets, talking about the emotional part, you know, those types of things, when you need them, and you may not realize that you need them right now, you may not realize how important they are, but at some point in your career, you will. And when that happens, then hopefully I can be your source for that kind of stuff. So, again, I just want to say thank you. It's been an interesting journey. It's only going to get more interesting as we go forward. I have a lot of things planned for this year. I'm really excited about 2016 to see where things can go. And I appreciate you being here with
1: me. Alright, coming up in this episode. So CES was this last week has recently ended. I talked about it last week that
0: it's not necessarily necessarily something where you need to just watch the whole thing beginning to end, but you do want to pay attention and see what's happening there. And really what I try to do is spot trends. And so I'm actually going to talk about some of the trends that I feel like came out of CES and how they affect web developers because I think there are some really strong trends there that we really need to be paying attention to I've talked about some of this stuff before, but I'm going to keep talking about it because this is the way things are going and we really need to pay attention to it. Also, I'm going to talk about developing an aggressive approach to your career. This is something, again, that I see. I try to look for things that I see that can be limiting to people. I personally think it's more powerful to remove a limitation from somebody than it necessarily is to help them with some sort of skill or advantage. And so, again, this is one of the things that I've spotted where I see people who it feels like they're taking a passive approach to their career. And that can really cost you a lot of time and really create a lot of frustration. And so, and I think there's a reason why it happens. It's It's not just a choice. There's a reason why that happens. And so I want to talk about how that happens. And if you find yourself maybe kind of stuck in neutral a little bit, some of the things that you can do or the approach that I've taken to get myself out of that and be more aggressive with my career. Because at the end of the day, nobody's going to hand this to you. Nobody cares if you have a successful web development career except for you. And so you have to be aggressive if you want to get there, especially since this career field is becoming more and more competitive if you're not ready for that competition if you're not ready to be aggressive like that then this could end up being a very frustrating experience for you also in the tech section a little different but something that I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out and get my head around I'm going to talk about color theory so this is more the design side of things but talk about. Using colors, the basics of color theory, and some of the kind of tried and true principles and approaches that you can take to the colors that you use. Because color is a big part of the designs that you make, and they, it, it really can add value or tell a story just by the colors you use. So we're going to talk about some of the basics of color theory, some of the basic color schemes that you can use. Uh, in order to get out of your design or put into your design what you want in order to meet either your need, your client, your boss, etc. In the freelance section, then I'm actually going to go through an article. It's called Advice for the Freelance Developer. And some really, really good ideas in there. Some things I disagree with also. But I'm going to go through that article and kind of do a kind of rapid fire on that article. I'm going to point you to it. And then I'm going to go through it kind of rapid fire and talk about the different things and kind of give my own opinion on some of the things that he mentioned there. So if you're freelancing, this is going to be a really, really good section because this was a really great article that had some really good things in it that I want to just kind of go through quick fire. And then as always, we'll have our Q and A section. Uh, I got a few YouTube comments, got some stuff over on Core that I'm going to dive into. I have a really interesting question that made me think about full-stack web development, which I know a lot of people hate that term, but it was actually a really good question. So I'm going to dive into that question as well in this episode. Now, if you're not yet, I would recommend subscribing to the podcast. There's going to be a lot more great stuff coming. You can subscribe for now on iTunes and SoundCloud and YouTube. You can go to com slash iTunes or slash SoundCloud or slash YouTube to find all of those different links where you can subscribe. Soon we'll be on Google Play once Google Play releases its podcast kind of setup where you can subscribe to podcasts right inside of Google Play. I just got an update on my Android phone. Usually there's security updates, but I'm hoping what's to come is the release of that setup the podcasting setup for Google Play. But once that's out, I'll give you the links to that as well. All right, so that's what's coming up in this show. Be sure to stay tuned. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Ebates, where you can earn cash back on your online purchases from major retailers like Amazon, eBay, walmart.com, and more. John Morris Show listeners can get your free account by visiting johnmorrisonline.com ebates. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So let's talk a little bit about CES. And I always find CES interesting because it's kind of this big kind of tech event and there's a lot of interesting things that come out of it and the things that come out of there while they may not seem entirely relevant to web development or web design all the time, they oftentimes in the long term end up having an effect on us as web developers. And so, again, it's not something that you necessarily want to watch beginning to end, but you do want to pay attention to it. So there are some few things that I noticed when when looking at a lot of the big announcements that you saw. So, actually first, one of them, I just thought this was... uh, it was really interesting to me, and I say that word interesting a lot, but this was. And so it's this 12 inch Samsung Galaxy Tab Pro S that's going to run Windows 10. I don't know why, but I find that a little bit odd with all of the, because all of these companies have become so siloed lately that it's weird to see what, in a way, are competing companies working together now that said windows or microsoft as of late really has been doing a lot of things to integrate its software into lots of different hardware and samsung typically i would say has been one that's been a little bit more open to that with obviously using Android which isn't its own platform but also dabbling in its own platform and some others so uh, it's not necessarily super surprising but just seeing Samsung running Windows 10 just seemed a little bit odd to me but we'll see we'll see where that goes it could be you know it could be a match made in heaven but I just I thought that was uh, a little bit intriguing there But the meat, really, of this is uh, some of the announcements that came out. Now, let me read through some of these big announcements here, some of the main announcements, and let me see if you can pick up on what I'm driving at here. So the 12-inch or the Samsung Galaxy Tab Pro, prices start at $999. Samsung Gear 2 Classic now officially has... Platinum and 18K carat rose gold options. Samsung to add iOS support for Gear 2. Metal clad Samsung Chromebook 3 is official. Boasts 11 hours of battery life. Samsung Pay coming to Australia, Singapore, and Brazil. Uh, LG announces K series smartphones: K10, K7. ZTE unveils Grand X3 and Avid Plus entry-level phones. ZTE announces international expans- expansions for its Nubia brand. Alcatel smartwatch. Alcatel 8-inch uh, 8, eight inch Pixel 3 tablet and 4 Pixie 4 devices. Blue Vivo 5 and Vivo XL are official with 5.5 displays. Asus ZenWatch 2. Asus Phone Zoom. Uh Zony unveils unveils three new Android powered HD com, HDR compatible four K TVs, Polaroid power and Snap f- smartphones available. Uh Razor enters smart smartwatch market with Naboo watch, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: These are these are some of the more important announcements from CSS, or at least uh
0: ones that you know, we're deemed kind of, uh, high profile or whatever. So if you look at most of those, they're dedicated to mobile. They're dedicated to wearable. They're not necessarily those announcements, but some of the other ones that we've talked about and heard about
1: related to cars, related to TVs. You know what you don't hear a lot of You don't hear a lot about the desktop, do you? You don't hear a lot about the laptop.
0: You did get the Chromebook in there, but, I mean, some people might consider a Chromebook a mobile device, although that's probably not technically true, but you had the one announcement about a laptop. Everything else was related to mobile,
1: wearable, cars, TVs, etc. It's everything but the desktop. That
0: should give you some insight into where things are going. Now I know I've talked about this before, but we gotta keep talking about it because we gotta keep figuring out where this is headed. This is more than a trend at this point.
1: This is becoming reality and it affects us. Now, you may
0: not immediately recognize how this affects you. So let me give you an example. I did a YouTube video a while back, actually, on how to create a social network. Now, this was
1: part of a paid course that I offered probably seven or eight years ago. And it got to the point where, you know, it it, it really, charging for it,
0: just I didn't feel like that was right. and It was starting, some of the stuff was starting to become, I'd say obsolete, but a little bit outdated. Or there were specific parts of it that had been become obsolete and been replaced, or so forth. And so, what I did is I just took the whole course and I put it up on YouTube, you know, kind of with the disclaimers that some of this stuff, you know, doesn't necessarily apply now, but there's still a lot of really good information in there because some of that stuff is timeless. I mean, some of it was basic PHP stuff, right? So, a part of that was creating a social network and and talking a lot about. More about the theory of creating a social network than the just hard, hard coding on it. But uh, that video became really, really popular, and I've got had gotten a lot of questions, a lot of people talking about it, asking me about social networks. And so I had wrote a comment on there, and I'll link to this video on the show notes page for this episode, com slash 58 I'll link to this video or link to that comment, so you can kind of read it. I basically said that. I don't think that building a social network as a developer, if I were sitting down to think of what can I do to make an impact, make a splash, make a name for myself, um, put myself out there in a dramatic way, which was what a lot of people were kind of, you know, a lot of people watched the social network, that movie, and they want to build the next big thing. So it felt like people were seeing a social network as the next big thing. And I said, I don't think a social network is the next big thing. And I still don't think that. And the reason why is important. Why do I think, and a lot of people think, that social networks are not what's coming. That's not the next big thing. That's not where tech is headed or or, or going. It has a lot to do with mobile. Mobile changed social networks. Look at everything that's coming out related to the big social networks. Look at what Google's doing. Google just blew up Google Plus, basically. And are breaking it down into a series of smaller apps
1: for your phone or your tablet. Facebook has been maybe less dramatically doing the same thing.
0: Facebook Messenger, which had a, there's a bunch of hoopla around that. And despite everybody saying they didn't want it, Facebook did it anyway. And now do you hear many people complain? Not really. Instagram, they bought Instagram for photo sharing. They have a groups app. They have a number of other apps out there. They're
1: basically, this is what I call the appetizing of social networks. The reason that's happening is because... The social sphere is, is is breaking down into niches,
0: and a lot of that is based around phone apps. Because with a phone app, trying to cram a bunch of trying to cram a whole social network and a bunch of features into one app makes the app really hard to use or really annoying to use. And so it's easier to have multiple apps because we're used to having a bunch of apps on our phones. And having one app do one thing really, really well. You'll notice on the web they don't do that. You don't go to a different website for Messenger, for groups, etc. It's only on the mobile devices. But most people are using the mobile devices. And so it's mobile that has really affected the social networks and caused them to nicheify, so to speak. And so that's how the larger trend affects what you and I do. That affects us directly, right? Our clients aren't asking us to build the next social network with all the features in it. That's not what. That's
1: not where things are headed. They're asking to have apps built. And so that changes what you and I learn.
0: Now, look, the web isn't going away. The desktop isn't going away. The laptop isn't going away. I think there's certain things that will always be on there. I, for example, when I'm reading or doing research, whether it's news or information or tutorials, even videos, I don't. I really don't like using my mobile device. It's a better experience on the desktop. I have a nice 32-inch screen that I can blow videos up onto or I can look at a web page and I can put web pages side by side and look at a couple of them at a time etc like it's a better experience so there's certain things that I think will always be on the desktop but there's a lot of things that were on the desktop just because there were was no there was nowhere else to put them there was no better experience and now that we have all these other devices we have TVs we have cars and we have watches we have Glasses, we have phones and tablets and all these other things. It's all going to nicheify out into different things. Not to mention all the stuff we have for smart homes with internet-connected TVs and thermostats and uh, door locks and just probably desks at some point. I mean, that's where things are headed. And you have to understand what business you're in you know the example that where i heard this from is if you look at the people who the big railroad magnates back in the 20s or 30s back at the time when the railroad was huge
1: they thought they were in the railroad business but it turns out they were in the transportation business
0: and when cars and planes came along passenger transportation via train pretty much died so you have to understand what business you're in you're not in the php business or the html business or the css business you're in the technology business you're in the enabling people with technology business or helping people with technology business that's the business you're in and so where the tech
1: goes You don't get a say where the tech goes. You have to follow it. And that's where it's headed. All right, coming up next,
0: I'm going to dive into developing an aggressive approach to your career. I see a lot
1: of people out there who I feel like are being passive with their career, who aren't being proactive and taking the steps aggressively
0: to get where they want to get as fast as possible. And I think there's a reason behind that. I don't think it's laziness. I don't think it's, you know, uh, that they don't know that, that they don't feel that. I think a lot of people feel that they're stuck in neutral or stagnated. I think I know for me and a lot of people that I've talked to, there's a reason why. And so I want to attack that reason why. So if you've ever felt that, ever felt stagnated, maybe not now. If you felt it before and had a hard time getting through it, then you'll definitely want to pay attention and stick around for the next segment where I dive into that. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. John Morris here for the complete web developer course by Rob Percival on udemy.com. Now here's the deal with this. Do you ever get frustrated constantly searching the internet for tutorials to learn how to code? Are you worried that learning how to code is taking longer than it should? Do you just wish you could learn everything in one convenient place so you can get on with earning your living as a web developer? Well, that is exactly why Rob created the Complete Web Developer course. Everything you need to know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps in one convenient course. And you know it works because Rob has over 183,000 students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy. Now, here's the best part. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive, and this is just for you guys only, an exclusive 85% discount on the course simply by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash C-W-D-C. So, look. Quit pulling your hair out trying to find good tutorials on the web. Do the smart thing and hit up my man Rob's complete web developer course with the slick 85% discount right now. Visit johnmorrisonline.com slash C-W-D-C and you'll be all set. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. In this segment, I want to talk
1: about... Developing an aggressive approach to your career. Now, this is something that
0: I see just kind of feels like with the people that I talk to sometimes.
1: That they're taking a passive approach to their career. And what do I mean by a passive approach? Well, it feels like they're kind of waiting...
0: To be told what to do or waiting for things to happen to them or for them or waiting for that moment when it kind of all clicks for them and then they
1: just know what to do. And. If you're waiting for that. You're going to be waiting a while. Now. Now. I don't like to say this, but I am getting a little bit older. You know, moving into my 30s,
0: 34 years old at this point, about to turn 35 in a couple months. And I know that as you get older, it can be a little bit harder to push yourself sometimes. And in general, it can just, I mean, you can be young and it can be hard to push yourself constantly to where you feel overwhelmed. Some people you know it's the opposite although the a lot of people that are in this scenario
1: they don't feel like they're being passive right they feel like they're running in circles but they're getting nowhere and there's a reason why this happens in my opinion and
0: that reason is i feel like fear can be a huge inhibitor you know it's easy to sit at your own computer and code things that only you see or create content that you never upload or have opinions that you never share right it's easy to do that it's difficult to put those things out there because somebody might disagree somebody might say you're wrong. Somebody might critique you. You might actually be wrong. And so fear can be a huge roadblock for a lot of people and stop them from being aggressive with their career and really putting themselves out there and taking the things that at some point you're gonna have to do. And and the trick is what we tell ourselves is that If I just get good enough at X, Y, or Z that that I'll never feel fear when I go to do this thing. And that's not true. No matter how prepared you think you are, if you're scared of doing something, you're going to be scared of doing it until you
1: do that exact thing. And so I believe that fear especially
0: fear of taking some sort of action to benefit your life, comes from,
1: what it stems from, really, is not believing in yourself. I believe that a lot of people believe that they're not very good at stuff. That they're incompetent. And that stops them from being aggressive. Now, the only way that you can then
0: overcome that fear and be aggressive with your career is you have to learn how to believe in your abilities. You have to learn how to believe in yourself. And I don't mean that. I'm not the new age sci fi guy. <laughs> just believe in yourself and everything will be okay. Right? You can't just want to believe in yourself, there's things that
1: you have to do. Your brain is too smart for that. It knows when you're not good at something. So you have to do things specifically to make yourself believe.
0: Now, this is both just in general to have confidence overall and in very specific things. And that's the insight. That's the key. That gets you to how you actually go about doing this.
1: Because belief or confidence comes from competence. You gain confidence when you're good at doing something. And so you have to put in the work to reach competence. In order to
0: create that belief. Now that seems like it's a kind of a circular uh, a circular method there. But there's a pr- an approach that you can take. There's a way around this. So the approach that I took was to focus on increasing my competence in really specific areas. Very small, simple things. And I'm sure you could look at what you're learning now, coding wise or development
1: wise, career wise, whatever, and find some very small, specific things that you could master. And the smaller, the simpler, the easier, the faster you'll be able
0: to do it. And here's the key as you master those simple little things, you're going to gain confidence about those individual things, but overall, your confidence is going to improve. So if you want to prove your confidence when it comes to web development, don't think about trying to learn all of web development. Don't even learn think about trying to learn all of PHP or CSS or
1: HTML, right? Start with how do I how do I echo? How do I print you know How do I write a function? How do I use a
0: function? How do I write or use a variable? Focus on very, very, very small things and learning them inside out. Because you'll be able to learn those small things very, very quickly to increase your overall confidence. And by the way, as you get further along, if you've really learned those individual small things, really, really well, it's going to make you a big or a better coder over the long term. If there's one thing that I would wish I could go back and do, that would be it.
1: To try to not move so fast and learn the little things more in depth because there's been plenty of things that I've had to go back and relearn. Uh, And it takes more time that way.
0: So Again, focus on those small things. Get confident with those small things. And as you do, your confidence overall will grow. And that's going to make it easier to tackle the larger, more complex things and to deal with inevitable setbacks. You will have setbacks. But if you've grown your confidence overall, you can get by those things. So what I would do, what I suggest you do is... Just look at where you're at right now. Whatever it is that you're working on, you're learning, look at it and pick five really small things, each of which you think you can master in about a week. And then focus on that, pick one of them and focus on that one thing and mastering it inside and out. Everything that you can do to learn that one thing in the next week and see how far you get in that week. And then do the second thing and the third thing and the fourth thing and do pick those five things. And over the next five weeks, master those five small things. If you do that, I'm confident that you will be a lot more confident both with those things with coding and development in general. And I think it'll permeate into your life as a whole. I know it has for me. And that'll allow you to develop that aggressive approach to your career where you're not afraid to put yourself out there and go after things because you know how to chunk it down into small things that you can master very, very quickly. All right, coming up next in the tech section, we're going to be talking color theory. This is a big part of what we do. Here's, here's the idea behind this. Right. Oftentimes, you have a client or a boss or somebody who will say to you, I want my site to be bright, or I want it to be look happy and fun, or I want it to be maybe I want it to be dark and mysterious. They'll give you a feeling that they're after. Well, color theory helps you translate that into the design, it's a step in taking what they're after and translating it into a color palette and ultimately a design that when they look at it, they'll immediately feel the way that they want to feel. There's a science to this, and we're going to dive into that science in the next segment. You're listening to John Morris Show johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer. But your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than six bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com/bluehost. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. We're going to be talking color theory. Now, let me set this up for you. The The big idea here is being able to create the kind of designs that will immediately resonate with your clients or your boss or whoever's asking you to build the design for them. Now, oftentimes when they try to describe that to you, they use a lot of adjectives like happy or bright or cheerful or dark and mysterious and gloomy or all these other adjectives that you then have to try and translate into a design now you should know or i think most of us know that color plays a huge part in that our mind our our eyes our brain it's all very hardwired Uh, for reacting to different colors in different ways. For example, red is the color of blood. So red tends to convey a sense of urgency. And that's kind of common, almost common knowledge in terms of color theory, right? But there's, there's kind of a science to this. Now, what if you could take those adjectives and you had kind of a set way Or a specific pattern that you could follow that would allow you to create a design that you know will hit home for them. Well that's kind of, that's what we're after here and that's what we're going to talk about with color theory is how to do that. All right. so to do that we need to go through a few basics. Now I'm referencing a YouTube video here and I'm kind of putting my own interpretation on this. I'm going to link to that YouTube video. It's called Color Theory Basics. I'm going to link to that YouTube video on the show notes page, johnmorrisonline.com 58. I recommend that you go take a look at that. The thing that I didn't necessarily like about that video is it kind of gives you a lot of information, but not necessarily a process for applying it. I want to give you a process for applying it. So hopefully that's a value I can add uh, in this segment. So let's start with some basics. First off, the primary colors are red, blue, and yellow. Now, I know in web development, you're probably in graphic design, you're going to see RGB and you're going to see CMYK. Those are pretty standard kind of ways that we work with colors. But the actual primary colors are red, blue, and yellow. All the other colors can be made with these colors. So, and And we kind of know this. If you combine... Blue and yellow, you get green. If you combine red and blue, you get purple. If you combine red and yellow, you get orange, etc. So you can make all of the other colors with these three primary colors. And you have what are called primary colors, secondary colors, and tertiary colors. So primary colors are red, blue, and yellow. The secondary colors are basically what happens when you mix these in different combinations. So if you mix blue and yellow, you get green green is a secondary color. If you mix blue, red and blue, you get purple. Purple is a secondary color. If you mix red and yellow, you get orange. Orange is a secondary color. So those are kind of all your secondary colors. Now, your tertiary colors come from mixing your primary colors and your secondary colors. So if you mix green and yellow, if you mix uh, blue and purple, etc., you get all of your kind of tertiary colors. What I recommend you do is just go online. A matter of fact, I'll link to one on the show notes page at johnmorrisonline.com slash 58. I'll link to a color wheel so you can actually see all of this in action. Okay. But those are the primary colors. Now there's terms that we use and these are, especially if you're in Photoshop, I know knowing this stuff has made a big difference for me having some idea of what i'm actually trying to do with these things cuz a lot of these will be settings in photoshop so there's some terms that we use when we talk about color the first one is hue hue is essentially the color it's the name of the color it's red it's blue it's green etc so hue is you can just think of hue as the color saturation is the intensity of the color and so the more intense essentially the more the brighter The color is going to be whereas the less intense then kind of the darker uh, it's going to be again something to know if someone says i want a bright looking website then you may want to stay on the more intense side with the saturation value is how light or dark a hue is right so you have light red or bright red dark red etc it's how light or dark it is now you create shades probably something you've heard of those are produced by adding black so if you want to shade something you add black to it and you get different shades of a color's different shades of red or green or etc tints are produced by adding white so if you want a different tint to a color you would add white to it and then tone is produced by adding gray so different levels of gray give you different tones all right so those are some of kind of the basic terms that you use when talking about colors now You may have also heard the terms warm colors or cool colors. Warm colors are generally reds, oranges, and yellows. Those are associated with bright, with cheerful, with happy. So, if those are the kinds of adjectives that your client is using or your boss or whoever, then you may want to stick more with the reds, the oranges, and the yellows, or at least incorporate those into your design. Whereas cool colors, those are the purples, the blues, and the greens, and those are more associated with dark, or mysterious, or gloomy. Now, this isn't. Hard and fast, tried and true, right uh, you know the, there are exceptions to this, but in general, uh those are what those are associated with so if those are the adjectives that you're getting from your client, your boss, et etc, you can kind of know that these colors have a good chance of satisfying what they're after now, next, you have some common color schemes. Now there's more than what I'm going to list here, but these are some of the main ones. And if you, again, if you check out the video on the show notes page, johnmoresonline.com slash 58, then you can see the rest of these color schemes, but these are some of the main ones. So the first one is monochromatic. So that's uh, one hue. So one color plus white, black, or gray. So you may have red and then you may add in black and white as a part of your color scheme. That's a monochromatic color scheme. Complementary, those are colors that sit across from each other on the color wheel. So again, look up the color wheel, get a color wheel. And colors that sit directly across from each other, those are considered complementary. And they what they do is they create contrast and visual interest. And some common ones are red and green. Purple and yellow, orange and blue well, those are some pretty common complementary colors so that's one color scheme or another color scheme. The next one is called analogous or supplement supplementary colors i've I've heard it called before, and those are kind of the two to four colors next to each other, right so you may have you know the red, the red, orange, and the orange on the color wheel. Those are considered supplementary or analogous colors right so that's another color scheme triadic is three colors evenly spaced around the wheel so if you just took started with a color and then you evenly spaced around two more times those would be your triadic colors you also have split complementary so this is where you choose a base color and then you go across the wheel to its complementary color but you don't use that color you use the two colors on either side of it that are adjacent to that complementary color. And that's called split complementary. Now, Again, there's other color schemes. I don't want to kind of hit you over the head with all the color schemes. Uh, but those are some of the ones that you can use. Now, here's how you turn this into a process. Understanding all of this stuff, the client says, well, I want I want my site to be bright, kind of cheerful, kind of happy. That's what I'm after. Here's what you can do. You say, okay, I know that generally th- that kind of feeling is associated with reds, oranges, and yellows. So you can create a a number of different color schemes based on that. So you could uh, present them with a monochromatic color scheme, a complementary color scheme, uh, analogous or supplementary color scheme, a triadic, a split. Comp- you can give them those options. And know that there's a good chance that they're going to, it's going to give them the feeling that they're after. And you can help to identify what kind of color scheme they 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 like within the colors that give them the feeling that they're after. Right? So, you, they may say, oh, I really like this one. And it'd be the monochromatic color scheme. You say, okay, so... Then maybe they said they liked the the red monochromatic one. So then you could present them with a red, orange, and the yellow just to see if they happen to like one of those better. Or you could uh, maybe they want something a little more mysterious. So you decide to go with uh, blues. You can do all of the different color schemes for blue and see which one kind of f- they feels better for them. And you have an actual, you know, what you're doing in terms of. Uh, the color scheme here and the color theory you're presenting them with options based off of a system and you can kind of do this every time you work with a client and be able to present them with different options that still have some logic behind them the other thing that you can do is once you've kind of narrowed some of that stuff down then you can play with some of the saturation and the values you can create have different shades and tints and tones throughout your project so you may not always want to use just let's say you pick a monochromatic color scheme and you have a white or you have red, white, and black. You may not always want to use just pure red, white, and black. Maybe you want to use a shade of red or a shade of the black or or a, a kind of a shade of the white like a gray um, you know you can play with all of that stuff and still keep it within their color scheme, and you know. If they say, if they look at a design of yours and they say, well, I just feel I just was hoping it'd be a little bit brighter. Well, you know what that means. You know how to make it brighter. You know, you don't have to go in there and redo the whole design. You can say, oh yeah. And you can turn up the saturation a little bit and make it brighter. Okay, so all of this stuff gives you something to operate on when you're creating your designs. And if you follow that pattern of taking having them describe how they want it to feel and then matching that to the warm colors, cool colors, and then presenting them with different color schemes for the color options that match the feeling that they're after, you can have a system for systematically identifying what color scheme they're going to like the best instead of all like this mess of going back and forth and guessing and so forth. Okay, so that's a process based on color theory for helping you identify the color scheme of the designs that, that you're creating. Huge when it comes to making your client happy because color is going to be one of, if not the most important thing uh, about, uh, about your design that's really going to emotionally appeal to your clients and ultimately to their visitors as well. All right, so that'll wrap it up for our color theory for the day. Coming up next in the next segment, I'm going to be going through an article over on Medium that I thought was fascinating called Advice for the Freelance Developer, which is maybe not a super intriguing name, but trust me, the article is a really, really good article. I'm going to be walking through, kind of rapid-fire some of the advice that's mentioned there and, and adding my own two cents to it. There's lots of things I agree with, a few things I disagree with. I'm gonna be talking about that and why in the next section. You're listening to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. So I just realized something. I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, Don't worry because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's going to help you attract new clients for your web design business. In order to take this tutorial, you want to head on over to johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Again, that's johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Dot com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. Welcome back to the John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. All right, let's talk about freelancing. And this article that I was reading over on medium.com, again, I'll link to this over on johnmorrisonline.com slash 58. That'll be the show notes page for this episode. I'll link to this article over there. And just a really great article, kind of a rapid fire uh, set of Pieces of advice for freelance developers. So, I'm going to go through each one of these and kind of give my thoughts on each one. So, the very first one, I actually had to chuckle at the very first one. If you've been following me for any amount of time, you might think that I disagree with this, but not entirely. So, the first one is avoid freelancing sites. So, he says, I never bother with developer (laughs) cattle mills like Elance. They artificially deflate your value and are basically a breeding ground for cheap clients. Now, again, if you've listened to me for a while, you'll, you'll know that I actually recommend using freelance sites if you're starting out, but I, I still actually say those same things that he said. I, I tell you they are uh, meant to deflate your value and get you to charge less for your services. That's exactly what they are. Uh, however, they're also a good way to learn. They're a good way... To build a reputation, they're a good way to to prospect for long-term clients. They're a g- good way to learn how to work with clients. They're a good way to find your niche. You just have to know you're going to be paid less to do all of it. So that's why my advice is not necessarily to avoid them, but don't base your entire business around them and get off of them as soon as you possibly can. So uh, I had to chuckle at that one a little bit because uh it, you know it's not fair to be honest. I mean, the freelance sites provide a, a valuable service to both clients and developers, right? I mean, they're not trying to be that way necessarily, but that's just what happens so uh again i don't say, I don't think you necessarily need to avoid them, but definitely want to get off them as soon as possible after you've gone through kind of those initial steps of getting yourself in check and, and figuring out what you want to do. Next is go to meetups, conferences, and events, uh, specifically tech or programming related. Speak at meetups, conferences, and events. Uh, work on side projects and present on them. And you want to establish yourself as a knowledgeable developer who gets stuff done. I could not agree with this more. I, this is something looking at myself that I, I personally need to do more of I do go to events and conferences and so forth. And every time I go, it's, you know, there's a series of things that happen. I'm humbled in ways. I'm also encouraged in ways. Uh, It just, it really, to get out and meet other developers, it really gives you a sense of the community, where you're at. You're probably further along than you think you are. There's probably more people who are struggling with the same things that you are than you think there are. Uh, And it helps you to really kind of see that. The advice about speaking at these events, uh, even better, as much as they'll let you, do it. Because, again, I I said this at the beginning, learning the code isn't enough. You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to articulate your ideas. And speaking at these meetups, especially like a local meetup of people you know who are going to really give you a lot of leeway and a lot of benefit of the doubt when you're first starting out then that's a good place to start and and do that kind of thing. And then maybe get to the point where you're speaking at conferences full of people you don't know. Never ever do work for free. Uh, He says it's the worst possible idea. Do not use the excuse of building your portfolio to give away work. Build your portfolio by working on your own projects or
1: contributing to open source. Again, could not agree more. Now, I'm okay with doing work for less, especially at first, but not for free
0: because when you do something for free for somebody, they'll, they'll never want to pay you again. And as he mentions here, their standards won't be as high because they'll feel bad because you're doing it for free. And so you don't get a real honest assessment of where you're at in terms of your skill, your ability to deliver and so forth. They're going to give you way more leeway. Now, if it's your absolute first project, maybe you want that leeway. And so maybe that first one, but I I, I just, I, I wouldn't take, even if it's barely anything as pay, take something so that you do, you, it's also good for you to get a sense of, hey, I can make money doing this. That's a big thing for a lot of people starting out. So never, ever do work for
1: free. Next, demand no less than 50% down. And he says, this will filter out the
0: time wasters who aren't serious about spending cold, hard cash on a quality product. Absolutely. Uh, I have a video on this. I'll link to that on the show notes page for this episode, johnmorrisonline.com slash 58, where I talk about... uh, how I manage my payment process. I actually take uh, 60% up front. uh, You know, you know, in a way, I guess the way he's saying it, I technically, I don't, I only take 10% before I start working, but I get 60% before I ever, you know, before I ever give them anything. And so uh, you want, you need earnest money up front. You're going to, when you put yourself out there, you start getting some traffic and people interested in you. You're going to get a lot of people that want you to do stuff for free or they want you to. Here, here's the good one. I've got this new great idea for a social network that I want you to build for me. It's going to take over the world. I promise we're going to make billions doing it. Right? That's the one I get probably the most often. Uh, you're going to get a lot of that stuff. Not people who. I mean. If somebody actually knew that, why why haven't they created it already? I mean, but you're going to get a lot of time wasters. You're going to get a lot of people doing that kind of thing. Asking for earnest money up front helps weed out those people. The minute you ask for money, if they're not serious, they'll disappear. Next, take your current rate and double it. Again, could not agree more. He says, right now you are undercharging. Absolutely. Almost everybody I see is undercharging. I remember when I first started helping my little brother many years ago, you know, he now makes over a six figure income working for a, a huge company working at companies like Office Depot and Google and all these other places. You know, but when he first started out, and I mean they charge hundreds of dollars on his behalf. You know, and he, he, he makes you know, I, I think at least if you were to take his salary and parse it out in hours, at least a hundred or more an hour. Not sure, but uh I remember when he first started out, he was charging like twenty five bucks an hour and he was scared to death because at that time he never made I mean, when I started out, I started at twenty five. Uh I never made more than twenty five dollars an hour in my life. So it's scary and most people are undercharging. So take your current rate and double it. Learn the whole stack. So he says you simply cannot freelance effectively if you relegate yourself to the front end or other slice of the stack. You should understand how to administer a server, database, build a server side, web application design, implement a front end and everything in between. This opens up your potential market and allows you to raise your rates. I agree and I disagree here. I do think for yourself, you should learn the whole stack. I disagree that you can't get work uh, that the only way to get work is by advertising that you do the whole stack. I've talked about this tons and tons before. Nichifying is the way to go. The thing about that though is a lot of the times the different niches and the way that I talk about them, like creating a membership site, not languages as niches, but end results as niches. You know, end products, a membership site, uh, AJAX form. Uh, oh you know, a regular website, a blog, whatever, building those things are going to take the full stack, right? So in a way he's right. But uh, again, I don't think it's better to market yourself to a niche, but oftentimes those niches are going to require the full stack. So learn the whole stack. Now you don't need to wait to freelance in order to, until you learn the whole stack, freelance sooner rather than later, but learn the full stack as quick as possible. Underpromise, overperform. This is one of my dirty little secrets. I promise very, very little to the people that I work with when I work with them. I rely on my portfolio. I have some fairly high profile clients on my portfolio, which helps, but I don't make a ton of promises. And there's a reason why. If you overpromise and underperform, people will feel like they got slighted. Even if you do, even if you perform the exact same way, if you overpromise, they're gonna feel slighted. If you underpromise, performance exactly the same, they'll feel like they got more. This is the way people are. So, uh, you need to underpromise and overperform. That that's a trigger for them to feel like you wowed them, like you knocked their socks off. And that's going to be a trigger for them to tell other people about you. And you get referrals. Hugh, He says it might be his. He said this is probably the most important point on my list. I couldn't agree more. Build a good personal site from scratch. Use it as your playground for all the cool new tech you know how to use. Keep rebuilding it every year or so to keep it fresh. And he said I got a lot of work simply by building killer personal sites and blogging fairly consistently. Again, yes. Know that when people land on your site, they're going to judge you by your site. If you don't take the time, and I, I get it, you know, we all, as web developers, freelancers, we fall victim to this. We spend more time on our client stuff than our own. But you have to understand, new clients are going to judge you by your site. So your site really has to communicate what you're all about. Now, I don't necessarily think that needs means that it has to be built on the latest tech, but whatever your niche is, let's say you build ajax forms right well the forms on your sh- site better better rock they better really perform because people are going to judge you and your ability to create forms for them by the forms that you have on your site and if you do that you can actually highlight those forms you can say you know what don't even you know i've got all this description here for you to read just check out this form see how it works wouldn't you love to have something like that on your site or membership site or whatever, whatever it is that your niche is. Um next, look for the holy grail, long-term contract with a large company. Again, another one of my dirty little secrets. I my um uh, my career now I started with a company as a freelancer, I was an independent contractor, signed a long-term contract and that kind of just rolled into They, it's really the same setup that I had before, but for tax purposes, it's easier for them to pay me as an employee. So eventually, just rolled into being uh, an employee. I still work from home. I still do the exact same projects that I would. My setup is still exactly the same. I'm basically like a freelancer for them, but it's a long-term contract. And like he says, that is that is the holy grail. I know freelancers in all sorts of different industries who have one or two lo- lo- clients that they've worked with for years and years and years. And that's, that's the bulk of their clients that they have those clients and that's it. Now I do think it's a valuable skill to be able to learn how to drum up one off clients. And that's something I've talked about um, in some of the, you know, in some of the training that I've done around this kind of thing, around freelancing, because you may lose a client or a long-term client, or you may decide you don't want to work with that client anymore. The only way that you can handle those situations is if you know how to get new clients. So uh, you definitely still want to be able to do that, but yeah, the holy grail is having a long-term client uh, on a long-term contract then you're not constantly behind the eight ball to find new work. And then his last one is, it's the people, stupid. (laughs) This is probably some, that probably sums up my advice. When I talk about advice outside of the technical skill, that probably sums it up. He says, if you're not a people person or can't force yourself to be one, freelancing is going to be a tough road for you. There's no shortage of introverted, timid, yet brilliant developers willing to troll the web for easy leads absolutely true being able to network to be a people person to be able to communicate and articulate your ideas to be honest to be reliable those are the things that matter is it's the same thing if you're in a relationship right if you're in a relationship with somebody and you know, you can fix the sink. Is that going to make up for the fact that you lie to them all the time, that you go days at a time without communicating with them? You're always late. You never do the same things that you say you're going to do, etc., cetera, et cetera. Does knowing that technical thing make up for all this other bad stuff? Of course not. But all that other stuff, if you don't know, if you can't change Change a tire. if you're someone who's easy to communicate, you're honest, you know, you do what you say you're going to do, you're on time, you're reliable, etc. Those things will easily override not being very good with some of the other more technical stuff. It's like any relationship. Yeah, you need the technical skill because you got to do the job. But that's not what's going to make clients love you. It's all the other stuff. So... Absolutely, a thousand percent couldn't agree more. It is the people. So again, I'll link to this article over on the show notes page for this episode, JohnMorrisOnline.com/58. I recommend going through and reading this article because there's a lot of points in here, or, or a lot of fleshing out of these points that I didn't necessarily cover. I kind of inserted my own stuff, and he has some really good stuff in here. Also, I think it'd be worth going over there and leaving him a comment or recommending his article and saying thanks for the article. This is a really great article. That I think we all uh, can learn from. So be sure to do that. JohnMorrisOnline.com slash 58. All right. Coming up in the next segment. We're going to get to our q and I have some really good Q&A questions for you. One about full stack developers. That made me think a little bit. I hadn't really thought about this before. Um, and so I think that that will be something. That will be intriguing for you to learn from. All right. That's what's coming up next. You're listening to John Morris Show. JohnMorrisOnline.com. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP Engine. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine, all one word. Check them out, you're gonna love your WordPress hosting. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, JohnMorrisOnline.com, and it's time for our weekly Q&A. So this Q&A are questions that I receive throughout the week, whether YouTube, Twitter, Quora, via email, whatever. Uh, I try to answer your questions. So if you'd like to submit a question to me, you can email me, John at JohnMorrisOnline.com. You can hit me up at Twitter at JPMorris or over on YouTube, johnmorrisonline.com slash YouTube, or johnmorrisonline.com slash Quora, if you feel free to answer me or ask me over there as well. All right, so let's dive into these questions. So the first one's actually a statement that I just wanted to address. It's not necessarily a question, although uh, you can maybe take it that way a little bit. Anyway, it says, I think sometimes the clients focus too much on customizing little aspects of the site But not focusing on the big picture and therefore wasting time on things that could be better spent doing something else. Now, look, this is true. I've felt that way before where I felt like a client was focusing on something that was not important. But what you
1: have to understand is that there's two things. First off, their their goals are different than yours. Right. And so you have to be
0: able to understand, you have to be able to look at, and they're not necessarily going to take the time to do this for you now. And you could say, well, I'll just never work with clients that do this. You'll probably never work with clients then. Right. You have to do this. So you have to identify what they're really at, why they're doing that and try to understand where they're coming from. Because oftentimes their goals are different. Our goal, especially as a freelancer, is to get it done and move on to the next one oftentimes. That's okay. I mean, that's what you got to do. Your job is to execute. So as someone who's executing, that's what you have to focus on. But you have to consider that they're thinking about all the people that are going to be visiting their site. They're going to be thinking about all the people that are using all of the different parts. And sometimes that little aspect of the site that you don't think is important, maybe it's a legal thing or maybe it's a thing if it's a corporate client, it's something from their boss that just has to be there. Or maybe it's something that they've identified having worked in that industry for a long time that is crucial to credibility or uh, having any sort of success uh, in that particular industry. We don't always know where that stuff comes from. Now, yes, sometimes clients are just being silly, right? It's true. But you have to try and understand where they're coming from. A lot of times it's just fear, right? I've had that before. Plenty of times where clients they are they're just scared to launch it. It's their baby and they're scared. So you have to recognize that and help them through that. It benefits you to do that. The second thing is is it's our job to guide them. It's not I don't buy the idea that our job is to just simply execute and do exactly what our clients tell us to do. I've never bought that, I'll never buy that because we are the subject matter expert. And if they're doing something that's completely out of line, it's our job to say something. Now, depending on what it is, I'm not saying that you necessarily need to refuse to do it, right? That that can make you hard to work with if you're Someone who's always refusing to do uh, everything that you don't agree with. But if there's key important things, like things around security or privacy, etc. Then I think there's times when it's okay to refuse to do something. There's also times when it's okay to not go that far with it, but to say something. And guide them in the right direction. That's part of our job. Because we're the subject matter experts. So if you're finding that there's a lot of frustration in working with your clients based off of this kind of statement take some time to look in the mirror there's usually something that you can do to help alleviate that now it's probably going to require a little more work and maybe you stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit but there's usually something that you can do to help alleviate those issues now Again, if you're working with a client where you do all those things, you've tried everything and they just, there's all these things that you just flat out, then maybe it's time for you to move on from that client. And it's going to be better for both of you. But I found most of the time you can figure it out. All right, next is another question that I received. I believe this one was on YouTube. It says, great video. Quick question, though. I understand the fundamentals of JavaScript, but what's your advice on knowing what to use and when? For example, let's say I want to build a complex banner slider. Should I first find a few code examples online and then read the JavaScript line by line to get some ideas? Now, this was in reference to a video that I did about learning new things, and one of the pieces of advice was to build actual, to build real-world things. and so that that gives you a little bit of context around this question. So my answer to this is, if you're learning, then yes. I mean, that's how I learned WordPress. I work with WordPress primarily, for those of you who may not know that. And that's how I learned it. That's how I learned. That's really what got me into coding, was I was trying to build stuff for myself and others, and I wanted to do a specific thing, and I couldn't do it, so I would go And at first, I was just taking products that were out there. So maybe let's say it was a slider. I'd go find some of the JavaScript sliders out there. And I'd learn how to use them and customize them and so forth. But then I got to the point where I started wanting to do more than what was offered. And so I was getting into actually starting to hack the code of these different products and so forth. And hacking WordPress and and all these things. And that's what really got me into coding. So to learn, absolutely. That That's what you can do. Or I would recommend doing. However, as far as production and actually using yourself for your stuff or maybe even your clients, it's maybe. And the reason I say that is I don't think you should be afraid to use what already exists and know how to use it well. So, again, a banner slider. You can... Learn how to create your own banner slider, but do you really want to write it's not about can you do it it's about do you want to maintain it long term and that's often the question that a lot of this stuff comes down to now there's there'll be things that you'll say yes, absolutely I write me personally I write my own WordPress themes do I want want, want to maintain it long term Yes, because I want to do be able to do exactly what I want to do I want it to work exactly how I want it to work. So I'll take that. But there's other things where the answer is no. And so don't be afraid to use other stuff that already exists and let somebody else maintain it who is passionate about that particular thing. And then you just get really good at using it. Again, WordPress is an example for me. You know, I I create a lot of content, need content management systems, clients want that kind of thing. Do I want to write a a CMS and maintain it long-term? No. Not one bit. So I'll let WordPress do that and I'll learn how to use it really well and rely on that system. So there's kind of two answers to that question, but uh, that's how I think I would handle that. All right, the final question is, and this is the one I never really thought about this before. And as I started thinking about it, it's like, huh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So it says, What do you do in a regular day? as a full stack developer and I, I again i just maybe it's just me i'd never i never thought about that before and the point i think that or what he was after is you know do you use all of that stuff on a daily basis and the more that i thought about it it's like yeah actually most days include bits of every language so i'm rarely asked to do one part of a project right I'm, i 'm rarely asked to do just the back end stuff or just the front end stuff you know because I know all of those languages i'm most of the time i'm asked to do all of the front to back to complete the project all the way through now in some instances, I have colleagues that I'll ask for help on who are maybe specialized more in an area and I've found that the people that I work with we all kind of have our we're all full stack people full stack guys and gals but we tend to have our different areas where we're experts i mean i have developers who can run circles around me when it comes to php who will come to me and ask me wordpress questions specific things specific to wordpress because they know that i know it inside and out and then i'll go to them for like php questions or i have people ask about css or even graphic design and marketing and so forth so it's good to have a kind of mastermind around you like that. Um but for the most part on a daily basis I I do it all from front to back. Uh and it's kind of interesting to think about I just n- my I never really I don't know what it's like to work in an environment where I'm not asked to do that, where I would just be asked to work on one specific part of a project and that's it. It would almost thinking about it feels a little bit strange to me. So Yeah, I I would say, especially as a freelancer, because as a freelancer, again, as I mentioned earlier, you're going to be asked to create results-based products, not to just do CSS or to do HTML. You're going to, they're going to want you to do the whole thing. So especially if you're going to freelance, you're definitely going to want to know front to back, full stack, uh, whatever those languages happen to be. All right, so those are the questions that I have for today. Again, if you want to send me a question, you can email me john at Morrisonline.com, Twitter at jpmorris, Morrisonline.com slash YouTube, or Morrisonline.com slash Corey. You can ask me any one of those places, and I'll be more than happy to get your question on the show if possible. All right, so that'll wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to describe, subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. Uh, or SoundCloud, depending on what device you have and what you prefer. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, also soon will be on Google Play. If you do me a favor, uh, especially over on iTunes, if you leave me a review over there, I'd appreciate that. That'll help me reach more people and more developers with the podcast. And I'd love to reach more people and bring them into our little community. If you like the show, be sure to give it a like and share it with the communities and people that you think will benefit. Again, as I mentioned, if you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, you can shoot me an email at john at johnmorrisonline.com. And finally, you can always find all my tutorials, podcast episodes, and more at johnmorrisonline.com, at morris on Twitter, and youtube.com slash video. And again, don't forget, the show notes page for this episode is johnmorisonline.com/58. slash 58. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Hey everybody, here's a quick one for you. We all know how important creating blog content is to attract new clients to your web design business. But oftentimes, those first few members of your audience can be difficult to get. Well, I wanna help try and get you over that hump and help you get your first few followers. Now, I have an audience of over 20,000 YouTube subscribers, email list subscribers, and roughly 30,000 visitors to my website each and every month. And I'd have no problem promoting your website to that audience and helping you get those first few visitors. Now, to get the details on this, you'll have to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com publicity, but you'll need to do it before you actually start your blog. So head on over to johnmorrisonline.com
1: publicity, and let me help you get those first few visitors and those first few members of your audience.